Welcome to another episode of the Get Your Edge podcast. I'm your host, Brian Bott from Sports Advantage, and I'm here with my guy who's getting ready to, to lead another pack of, of throwers to, to sectionals and hopefully to state, my guy, Coach Manchie over in Kimberly. Coach, what's going on? Hey, um, it's just that time of year. We got sectionals is tomorrow, and then we get the state meet and track next week. You know, and all the sports in Wisconsin are coming down to the end of the end of the season. And you know, that's what it's all about. That's why the kids work so hard and coaches and, and, and everybody else. So super excited today. I, I guess is a former Kimberly paper maker and Mike Cardi, and uh, obviously had an incredible high school career and he uh, helps with the Fox Valley throws club. And um, it's going to be a great one today. Bluegill bluegills on I'm fired up. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Loves his bluegill. We're fired up to see it. Coach, let me ask you a question before we get to, before we get to Mike here, what, what do we do? It's pouring rain out right now. What do we do in the track and field? I'm a baseball guy. So it rains, we don't play. What about track? What do you guys do? Do you still fire it? Well, the last fire year, at the state state meet that last year, it was pouring rain hard. You know, the whole ring was, you know, the shot put area was all under, all underwater. And, you know, it just, uh, was like quicksand out there and the ring for the discus ring was, it was totally, submerge in water it, it's it's kind of different that way when track and field when you got bad weather if as long as it's not lightning you know you're on so i got you you got to be prepared and got to be do the best job they can that's all you can do no built-ins absolutely rain rain shine cold everybody's got to play in it so let's bring on mike hardy here mike was a, a former iowa hawkeye former kimberly papermaker uh very excited to have mike on um, part of the Fox Valley throws all good stuff here. So Mike, why don't you uh, hop on here, talk to our listeners a little bit, tell us about yourself and we can kick this bad boy off here. Hey, appreciate you guys. Uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Um, obviously have a, had a really good relationship with, with coach Matchy. Um, coming from Kimberly, uh, was a, was a three sport athlete, played football, played basketball track, um, shot put discus thrower, was, um, you know, was fortunate to have a lot of great coaches when I was at, at the high school there, uh, whether it was football, basketball track, or in the strength and conditioning world. Um, I was fortunate to be on, on a lot of good good teams and successful teams, and then um, was able to earn a scholarship, go down to University of Iowa, played football there from 2010 to 2014. Um, was able to my junior year, kind of get into it, and I uh, was was able to start my last two years, junior and senior year, and then uh, after graduation in December, stayed down there, trained a little bit for the pro day, and um, after the draft, was was able to have an opportunity to go try out with the Green Bay Packers. It was a very short-lived experience, um, but it was an experience that I'll never forget. Um, learned a lot from it. And it's a it's a, a once in a lifetime opportunity um, that I always look back on and, and I'm super proud of. After that, um, kind of put my degree to work. Went and did personal training at a gym up in Swamico. There did that for about a year, and then after that, realized that um, you know I really liked doing the training portion, the training aspect, um, but the the hours were kind of kind of wacky because you had to you know, catered to your clients, you know, as, as you can, can attest to bot. Um, and then realized that while doing that, I wasn't able to coach. Um, and I kind of 
once I was out of high school and in college, kind of realized that coaching was kind of the route that I wanted to get into. And then not being able to do it for that one year that I trained, um, really wanted to get back into it. So got some awesome advice from, from Coach Matchy, and uh, he kind of talked me into and going back to college for another three and a half years, uh, UW Oshkosh, to get my FIAD and health teaching license. Um, so now I am, I am FIAD and health teacher at, in the Kimberly School District. I'm at the middle school right now, um, and then next year I'll be jumping up to the high school. Uh, coach football there, uh, work the weight rooms, and then um, help with the middle school throws throws program and the track program, and then you know obviously help Coach Matchio with the Fox Valley Thrills Club. Mike, you know we're very fortunate to have you in the Kimberly Area School District, and you know you went through the system yourself, so it's pretty cool. And now you're teaching right currently at JRG, and that's the middle school that feeds into Kimberly High School. But you were a big, big time basketball player. I just remember in middle school and obviously you were one of the bigger kids and, you know, every, every middle school kid dreams of, you know, getting that, you know, being that big basketball player, you know, that NBA dream or going to a major college and doing basketball. When did you realize you could go farther in other sports? And, you know, what do you say to them? Because I think so many coaches and maybe parents out there too, like to try to have their kids specialize. They think specialization is the key. And you just talked about, you played football, you were a basketball athlete and, and did track. So you're a three-sport athlete in high school. But, you know, now you, as a teacher, your role has changed and you see some of those same kids in the situation that you were in. It's just, you know, years ago. So what do you say to those individuals, you know, at that level when you have that one-on-one -on -one contact time? Because, you know, building relationships, as we know, is, is really the key. And, and, and this is our why of why we do what we do and, and why we coach. Yeah, I think you, you kind of nailed it. And I think, you know, you could can attest to when I was in middle school and high school, I, I thought I was an NBA player too. Um, I think every seventh and eighth grade kid that, that plays basketball has the dream and the aspirations of going to play in college and, and eventually play in the NBA. For me, um, you know, obviously I continued to play basketball throughout high school and was able to make it work. I was on an AAU team for two years, I believe my seventh and eighth grade um, season or, uh, you know, age. And it just got to the point. And even back then, AAU was just kind of coming around. And, and even back then, it was too much for me. Um, I started realizing that, um, you know, with football and, and then basketball and AAU and then track, it was just all kind of jumbling together. And just was so hard for me to balance and you know I didn't want to obviously give any of them up and I didn't but I did give up AAU just because I realized that you know it was non-stop and you know, wasn't able to put my full effort into you know whatever season it was in um, obviously in the summer especially today it, it's just crazy for a lot of these kids uh, you know I see it with the seventh and eighth graders where it is just constant. They have basketball practice until 10 o'clock on weeknights and things like that, or they're, um, you know, all the way across the country. And that's kind of where it was for me, where I realized that for one, I wanted to, to get rid of AAU, um, but I still wanted to be able to be able to do the three sports. Um, it, it's kind of hard to get kids to understand it, but as once I got into high school, um, you know, realizing and sitting back and looking and, I was a decent basketball player, but I could even sit back at that time and realize like, well, I'm obviously not, you know, the guy and, and 
I, I still wanted to be able to play it. Um, but I, I realized after going and, and seeing these AAU tournaments and going down and visiting, you know, schools for football that I realized that I was not a basketball player, even though I was, you know, a pretty decent athlete. Um, but just the amount of time that it took um, was too much for me. And then, so I realized, you know, I would have been more successful with, with football or track. Um, but after going through, you know, my experience, like you said, a lot of kids want to specialize in, you know, one sport. Um, when I went through my, my recruiting and everything at, at Iowa, you know, they said they would take a, a football kid who was in a multi-sport athlete over a football kid who just specifically played football, right? Um, and I think we see it as, you know, Bot, you see it all the time, and Matt, you see it as the throws coach. Um, it just makes you so much of a better athlete if you're able to do, you know, two or, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to do now, but three sports. Um, but, you know, for me, realizing that just too much coming and going with basketball and AAU um, got to be too much for me. And then I kind of sat back and realized that I could be a lot more successful um, with football or track at that time. It, and it's such a, it's such a powerful thing for kids that are two and three sport athletes when they get to college to play one sport now, because now they're now, now they're grown men or grown young ladies. And, and now they can really focus on that one sport when their body's ready to handle that. And I think that's where you see kids that kind of level out too early, right? If they're just doing just basketball from 11 years up, or, or we see it a lot with baseball kids, right? That they burn out, you know, when they're 19 or 20, you know, their arms are shot. Uh, they, they're not used to competing because they played in the same program for, for eight years. And I, I think that's such a great message, Mike, that even if, even if that, that dream of playing college sports isn't something that's a reality, you should still keep playing. I mean, I, I, there's a kid from some prairie that I train. He's going, going to Iowa, uh, three sport athlete. <laughs> Um, but you know, very successful in all three sports. And I think it's a great testament, um, for you, you were state player of the year, defense, state defensive player of the year, your senior year, uh, and also state discus champion. Right. I, I think that's correct. Um, yep. probably, you know, I'm not sure why you weren't wearing red and black, but we won't, we don't have to get into that, uh, tonight. We've gotten to that before. Um, <clears throat> explain Mike, I think there's a, there's a, a huge, the, the track and football consortium that's out there. And a lot of different things, but everybody seems to really focus on, you know, the Corpus and holler, the feed the cats and let's get speed and let's get these kids faster. And that, I think that's great. I think you definitely see that those, you know, football and track meld each other for those skill kids. But I think where a lot of kids are missing the boat is where you were successful as a thrower. So how, how did throwing, you know, make you, in your opinion, a better football player, but also maybe how did football make you a better thrower? You know, cause they, they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, really it comes down to, you know, if you, if you look at throwing, you know, what is it? You know, we talk about it all the time. It's the only sport that you're going to start with your back towards the throwing area, right? If I want to throw a football at you, I'm facing you or a basketball or a baseball, right? I'm facing you, right? Throwing is, is totally different where your back is, is away from the area that you're actually throwing. Um, and I think for me, it's just overall athleticism. Uh, you you got to have great footwork if you're going to be a good thrower. Um, and that's something that I, I think we you don't see a ton of with, with high school kids. You know, a lot of people, 
yeah, they work the speed ladders and things like that, but it doesn't really translate a hundred percent to, to a, you know, a, either a football rep or throws where, you know, for us with, with throws, whether it was when I was in high school or, or now with our kids, right. You're, you're constantly working footwork. Um, and it's just overall spatial awareness because you're starting with your back to the throwing area and being able to, to spin and, and, and stay in the circle and still be a really super explosive athlete. Um, I think that is tremendous, you know, competitive advantage for football players um, and, and, and vice versa for football um, with throwing. Um, and the other one is, is football, you need 11 guys. You need 11 guys working together. I can do my job. Okay, but there could be one other guy that doesn't do their job and it could end up in a touchdown, right? Basketball, you need five guys all working together and doing their job. As a thrower and track in general, it's on me, right? If I want to be really good, I can put a ton of work in and be really good, okay? If I just want to be, you know, an average thrower or an average sprinter, I can put in the amount of time that I want to, right? And, and you're probably going to see the results, and the one thing that we, you know, say is, you know, the tape measure and the, and, the, and the stopwatch don't lie, right? So I think it's a great opportunity for kids to go out and be able to compete, you know, just by themselves. Okay, that was one of the best things. Um, you know, I tell my kids this all the time. I, I played in front of, you know, 80,000 people on a regular basis with, you know, with football. Yep. But I, I love and still miss being able to step into the circle whether it's at a regular meet or the state meet and be able to compete. Right. And it was always fun to have somebody that was, you know, maybe through farther than you and you had one more throw to hit it. Okay. And you just got to go out there and you rely on all your training. Right. So I think that translates a lot back to football as well, because you still need 11 guys working together. But at the end of the day, if I want to be successful at football, I need to win my one-on-one -on -one bat. And I had to be able to compete with that guy across from me. Right. Just like I have to be able to compete whenever I step into the throwing ring. Mike, so so just follow up on that. Do you think that that's what scares people away from track? Because they know, you know, that they have to, that it's them against someone. They can't, they have no excuse, you know, type of thing. And, and it also, to me, it empowers competitors, right? Like you said, hey, this guy throws you know, five, you know, it's coming in, maybe he throws a discus 205 feet and you throw a 200. I, I, I don't even know how it's measured. So I'm sorry if I, I brutalize that, but you're walking in, you know what I mean? So the, what a great carryover to football, right? You're looking at a guy that's a two-time All-American that you have to go against, right? I mean, it's, it's really the same thing. When you look at it, you can't, I think too many kids fear competition right now where the best athletes, you, you guys like you, you embrace it, you know? Yeah, I think it falls back onto that whole feel of fear of failure, right? And, and people judging you and things like that, where if, if you're in the ring by yourself, you've got everybody is watching you, right? And like you said, a kid that doesn't want to compete is going to kind of, is going to be, you know, cower and, and not want to do well. But a, a competitor thrives on that, right? A, a good competitor wants to be, you know, down by 10 feet with one throw, to, with one, you know, time to throw it. Um, and like you said, I don't think we see that a lot because a lot of kids don't want to fail. Right. And realistically, it's hard for a kid to understand it, but you have to be able to fail to, to learn and, and get better as you, as you get older. Right. And I, I think that's so hard for kids to understand. And, you know, even adults and coaches and, 
you know, everybody, you have to be able to fail and, and learn from it. Um, but like you said, I think it's a really hard for kids to have that mindset of, Hey, all eyes are on me guy. It's up to me. If I want to win, it, it's going to be up to me or you're lining up against the two time all American guy. Okay? And, and you got to do your job. I just think it's, it's a hard concept for kids to get, but it, it takes a true competitor to, to have that mindset of, I want this pressure on me. That's awesome. Yeah, Brian. And I know, you know, you do a lot with baseball and edge baseball Academy and, you know, you played at the collegiate level, but I can contest from my, from a high school track coach for, you know, all the years that I've been doing it, that so many times an individual has goes out for track and it doesn't matter the event it has some success. And I see it carry over right to the fall sporting season, whether, whether it's, you know, volleyball, whether it's football, whether it's soccer, Whatever it is, it just makes a big difference. Confidence. I think it confidence. gives it gives them tremendous confidence, and that's another reason why we like the weight room so much. Because you know, just a one good summer of training in any sport, and whether it's you know strength training, whether it's you know going going to the club and getting better as a thrower, or going you know playing baseball tournaments, whatever their sport is, they can just become a whole different athlete in that time frame, if they commit and they're consistent, which obviously we talk about consistency all the time, Mike, um, from a strength program, you know, you know, high school, you know, we have a really good strength program. I, I feel at, at the high school level and so many Wisconsin high schools do have great strength programs, but you know, you got on that campus at Iowa and you have people from all over. And I, I remember talking, having conversations with you and some kids would come in and, hardly have any training at their high school. They didn't have very good facilities. And now you go into, you know, a big 10 school, Iowa, and you start lifting in probably what's called a developmental group. How did that transition, you know, how did that go for you? And, and, and talk a little bit about how, you know, at the end of high school, I know you were doing some, you know, some things that you probably felt you were a little bit more advanced. And all of a sudden you get on a campus in Iowa and all of a sudden they're, they're regressing you back and making sure that you are doing things that their way with their verbiage and everything else. So kind of explain that process. I think for, for me, having the strength program that we had at Kimberly put me way ahead of a lot of kids that came in, right? It didn't, it didn't matter if you were a five-star athlete or a one-star athlete, right? Like you said, once you get into campus, they bring everybody back down, right? So the first thing that they do is, you know, they look and see, um, you know, where you're at and, and what they want you to do. And then they bring everybody and start from ground up. Um, you know, for me, I had such a big advantage, not necessarily from a strength standpoint, because, you know, as, as both of you can attest, you go into a college weight room, regardless if it's a, a senior or a freshman there's some freak athletes, right? And you can be a freak athlete and just be strong, right? And have not great mobility. But for me, it wasn't necessarily me being so much stronger than everybody, but it was, I had so much better movement patterns, yep. right? I had way better flexibility, much better mobility, right? Which helped me with a lot of the things that we did, whether it was, you know, starting everybody out with a regular barbell complex where you had to do front squats and overhead squats or explosive movements, things like that. Um, so I was way ahead of kids that way. And then, um, you know, coach Doyle, when we first came in, 
um, did what's called functional movement screening or FMS. And it's just a series of movements that, that they go through and, you know, whether it's hamstring flexibility or posterior chain strength or upper body mobility, you know, and then you would get graded on it. And based on your grade, you would get put into a separate category or a developmental category, whatever it is. And, you know, I don't think I was ever in a developmental category um, just because of the amount of work that we did, you know, in high school, you know, you had kids who, you know, who could barely touch their toes, but they were five-star athletes because they were a freak and explosive. Um, but when it comes to transitioning that into the weight room, like they're, they're way behind. Right. So uh, I think that was the biggest thing for me. Um, it was just the overall movement patterns and, and being able to move well, as opposed to, you know, just being able to squat or bench, you know, a ton of weight. So Mike, as you played at Iowa, um, you know, obviously a, a very uh, consistent program through the, through the years, uh, over the last 25, 30 plus years, very, very consistent. And, um, you know, now as a coach, you, you, you get to kind of lead some young people and, and whatnot. So some of those coaches that you dealt with, uh, at Iowa, um, you know, they've been there for a while, um, but they're also very established coaches. So maybe some things that you learned from them that, you know, that you received as a player that now you're able to take that and, and, and reassemble it into your own coaching style. I mean, there's some things that, that you use, um, you know, from coach Ferens or some of those other guys that you worked with. Absolutely. Like, like you said, um, you know, the, the Iowa coaching staff that is there has been there for, you know, 20 years plus, you know, I coach Ferens is the, the longest tenured coach currently in college football. Um, so obviously they're doing something right when they're down there. They have a great um, contract system too, by the way. As to how absolutely. They get, how they get raises and stuff like that. It actually should be, should be the way things are. But anyways, that's just my opinion. Yeah, so <laughs> the, coaching, the coaching staff for me was probably one of the biggest things that, that got yep. me down there. You know, you joke around about me not being um, at Wisconsin, but you know, Coach Ferentz and the staff that they had there with Coach Doyle and, and everybody on staff was was the huge difference maker for me, um, which got me in the doors. And, you know, I don't regret it at all. Um, I had a, I had a D-line coach. Uh, you know, I won't say his name, but my first two years, he was, he was a screamer, right? So regardless of what you did, if you did something well or you did something, you know, wrong, he, he was always screaming, right? And he'd be you know, throwing curse words at you. And it, it, it made me shut down as an athlete, sure. right? So my, my first two or three years, I was, I was the kid that just almost didn't want to go out on the field because you knew you were going to get yelled at regardless. Um, and he ended up leaving. And then we, we bumped our offensive line coach down um, to, to our defensive line coach. His name was Reese Morgan. Um, he was there for probably just as long as Coach Ferentz has been. Um, and he was, he was a teacher, right? He was literally a, a retired teacher. So the way that he taught things and the concepts and everything just kind of broke it down. Um, you know, and one thing that I, that I learned from him, he would come into our meetings and he would say, you know, for me as a coach, right, either I am coaching it or I am just allowing it to happen. Yes. And for me, yes. Right. As a, as an athlete, you didn't necessarily always mean what that, you know, what that meant, but now looking back, you know, as a coach, like if, if you don't want something to happen, then you have to, you have to step in and, and yeah. say something. 
Okay. Or if you see something wrong, you can't just, you know, put brush it off and hope it doesn't happen the next rep because now you're just building poor muscle memory and that's going to be harder to break. Right. So that's one thing that he said. Um, and another thing that he, that he kind of always, you know, came back to is just overall complacency. Um, I think you see it so much at that level, especially um, where, where kids are way at the top at high school, right? So they're a three or a four or five-star athlete and they're that kid in high school. And then they get back and they kind of get knocked down a couple pegs once they get, once they get to college. But I think you see it with starters as well, where they get comfortable, right? And they, and they stop doing what they were doing to get them to that point. Um, you know, whether it's as an individual or a position group or as a team in general, um, it's just don't be complacent, right? And, and always try to get better. Always try to learn more things um, and, and do things like that. And, you know, our big thing, you know, at, at University of Iowa was, was simple, right? It was, it was show up on time, be coachable, and, you know, do things, you know, what they call the Iowa way which is simple things, whether it's showing up to a lift on time or whether it's having your shoes tied or making sure you're wearing Iowa issued gear or things like that. It's just the little things that make a huge difference. Um, and that was one of the biggest things that we, that we kind of fell back on as a, as a D line and as a program um, that really made a big difference. Mike, I think that's, that's a real big thing to uh, for our listeners out there. Cause I think the old school coaching, you know, back in the day, we see the Bobby Knights and, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the old school coaches were, were screamers and yellers, you know, and it, it, they, they, they had to be, you know, to, it was a way of motivation. You know, it was one of those situations. And I, I think that the transition, we, when coach Jones took the, you know, the, the Kimberly football program and he, he changed it all, all into love. You know, we talked about that, you know, how, you know, just really developing those relationships and really caring about the athletes that made a big difference. And I just remember when back when you were in high school, you, you were that you were that person. I think it's important for coaches to understand, you know, sometimes you got to get after somebody to motivate them. But in your case, you shut down. And, you know, if you're a coach and you're, that's your approach and you're not getting the results from the athlete that you're looking for, you have to change and you have to adapt. To, to help get that person motivated so they can perform. And I think that's a, what, one of the things that I see a lot of times from coaches is they're, they're not willing to change. They think the athlete should change. I think the coach has to change. And that's part of being a good coach. I think you have to be able to read your athlete and says, you know, Hey, this kid, I got to get him more fired up. This kid, Hey, you know, he, he's better when, when his dial is here, you know, coach Jones, just talked to our track team and he talked about the warrior dial, you know, what, where is your competitive dial at, you know, 10 meaning, Hey, you got to be just so jacked up. You're just going to go out there and, you know, come off the line and punch and be ultra aggressive. You know, a five is you just got to be more of an, in a chill mode because that's how you perform, you know, at your best, but where, where are you on that warrior dial? And I think coaches got to get that as, Hey, what, what gets this person, to perform at their best. Where, where is that warrior dial for that individual? And I think that's so important because, you know, you're a laid back guy and you, you know, you're kind of a cerebral guy. You're going to think things out and, and you're not a big, 
screamer, yeller, you know, you were an awesome leader, but you weren't the you rah, rah guy jumping up and down, getting all crazy. It's just not your personality. However, you were doing everything like that, you know, the Kimberly way in high school and the Iowa way at, at Iowa. And I remember when we came to, I came to visit you spring, spring ball, a bunch of our coaching staff came down and talked to the Iowa staff and we were at the, on the field and I was talking to coach Ference and I said, you know, I thought coach Hardy would make an unbelievable, you know, Mike Hardy would make an unbelievable offense alignment. And I remember what coach said, he goes, I agree with you, coach. He goes, but Mike is so coachable. And we had so many injuries on the defensive line. We are comfortable that he is going to do it the Iowa way and we can plug him in all these different spots. And that, that was a huge compliment. You know, I coach Ferentz told me about you and I totally agreed. I said, he is a coachable. He is going to know his assignments. He's going to do what he's supposed to do. And, and, and that's just a testament to you, Mike. Yeah. Going back to the coaching thing, like I learned more from a defensive line standpoint in my last two years with coach Morgan, than I, than I learned in my first three years with our other defensive line coach, because like you said, he knew who the kids were and he knew that nobody learns when, when you're always afraid to make a mistake, uh, you that's can't cool. go on in the field right. and be afraid to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. You can't be afraid to fail. And that's, that's, that's where I was my first, you know, two or three years. And I learned so much more the last two years when I had Reese Morgan as my coach, because he, he slowed everything down and he taught it. He was a teacher and he understood, you know, he, he made you understand, you know, kind of why you're doing these things. Okay. And, and, and I learned more from that than I did than, you know, the, the guy that's just yelling at you all the time. And, and like you said, that I'm not a, I'm not a yeller or a screamer. Now there's times where you got to get after kids sometimes. Right. But you still have to be able to figure out when you got to pull back from a kid. Now, you know, as your experience, were a lot of the yellers and screamers at the collegiate level, were they younger guys, you know, not proven coaches or didn't have that, you know, experience. Cause I know coach Morgan, when I met him, when, when we came to watch you play, you know, he was a seasoned vet and you just knew he knew a lot of football, but more importantly, he just knew how to deal with his athletes. And that, you know, a lot of that comes with experience. I would assume. I think, I think a coach is more likely to be a yeller and screamer when, when they don't necessarily always understand the full concept Yep. or when, when they're afraid to admit that they don't understand something. So they just, you know, kind of go back to, well, just yelling and screaming and put it back on the kid where, you know, like you said, coach Morgan was there forever. He knew pretty much everything that there was about offense and defense. So he was able to slow down, pull you back and, and, and actually coach you through it and talk you through it because he knew it. Right. So I think, like you said, you get a lot of younger coaches that are afraid to admit that maybe they don't know everything or maybe they don't know something. And their initial reaction is just to to yell and scream and, and put it back on the player. Well, I think I think, too, some of that falls on to with coaches that and I see this from a strength and conditioning standpoint is that they want to show that they're in charge and their way of showing they're in charge is by yelling at someone versus yep. explaining it to them. Now, uh, I'm not going to go as far as like, it should always be like, Hey, this is how you do it. Right. I think a, a lesson that a lot of coaches can learn is if you're, if you're dealing with kids that 
that have some athletic ability and, and you're not getting out of them what you think they should be producing, which means kids and kids listening, you need to hear this too, is that the reason coaches get frustrated with you a lot of times is not because they don't like you is because not because they're pissed at you is because they see your potential and they're trying to figure out a way to get it out of them. And so what we do is if I have a kid, you know, at one of my gyms that we're struggling with, you know, maybe he's, he, he's not putting forth the effort or maybe he's just not technically grasping things. I just pull him aside and say, Hey, you know, it seems like you're struggling with this, you know, whether it's mentally or, or from an effort standpoint, what are some things that, that I can say to you or that, that you will respond to in a positive way? Um, and, and then when he tells you that, or she tells you that, and then you can coach them that way. And if they're still not giving you effort, that's when you jump in their ass and just really get after them because then it's, then it becomes an effort, effort thing. But I think, you know, these are really great points guys. Um, from your standpoint, Mike, talking from a coaching standpoint, um, you know, you were a, you were a D lineman in the big 10, which, you know, there's, there's a lot of great D linemen and O linemen that come out of big 10. Um, and just to play in the big 10 is a, is, you know, is, is something really special to be cherished. Now you're coaching high school D line. Okay. So you, you, you were a high school D lineman or high school player. Then you raised your game at a higher level. You get to go, you know, experience the Packers and things like that. And now you're back working, working with high school players. Um, What's that like? And what are some of the challenges you face knowing you, you personally were at a definitely a higher level than a lot of these kids may ever reach. And now you're back trying to teach them, you know, how to play the game. I think the hardest thing for me right away, you know, and I've only been, you know, coaching football for what, six years now. Um, but is, is realizing that especially in high school, kids are on such different levels. Yep. Uh, you could have a you could have a senior who is a stud, and you could have a senior who has probably never you know played a snap, or you could have a sophomore who's who can be really good and have potential, and it's it's for me the hard thing was realizing that hey they're 14 years old, 15 years old, 16 years old, whatever it is, and you have to be able to figure out who the kids are, you know, like you just said figure out how the kid reacts to being coached, right? You, you can't expect everybody to, to, to be the, the big time leader and, and, and take well to, um, you know, getting yelled at all the time. Um, but so for me, it was figuring out, you know, where the kids were at and understanding that they're, they're not going to be there right away. Um, you know, whereas in, in college, most of the kids were, were pretty close to being there their sophomore, junior year, because you're dealing with really good athletes. Um, and then being able to, to pull everything back and, you know, I don't want to say dumb it down, but you have to be able to start from square one with a lot of these kids, right. You know, uh, at a college level, you look at, you know, just talking defensive line wise, you know, just coming out of your stance is, is, is second nature, right. Cause you do it a thousand times where a high school kid, like maybe that's their number one issue is they can't get out of their stance or they can't get in a stance. Um, so being able to, to, to kind of pull that back and realize that, that, you know, these kids are, are super inexperienced and you have to be able to actually coach them and, and teach them the, the basics and the fundamentals. Um, and then the other thing is you don't have to get crazy with a lot of stuff. You know, get kids really good at the basic things. Yes. And they'll be fine. 
you can always build off of things if you've got a, you know, maybe a more experienced group or maybe a, a couple more um, experienced players, right? But you can't expect a 16-year-old kid in high school to be doing a drill that, you know, Aaron Donald is doing, you right. know, at the NFL level. And I think that's the issue with a lot of, you know, coaches is they always feel like they have to change things, change things, change things, because I saw, you know, Aaron Donald is doing this and so-and-so is doing this and this coach at this university is doing that. And that's great for those guys. If you're a freak like Aaron Donald, absolutely. You can't you coach Aaron Donald in high school. <laughs> you're not coaching Aaron Donald. So you have to be able to get the kids really good at the, at the basic movements you know, whether it's coming off the ball or punching or reading a block or locking out. And then you can see where you're at and, and progress off of that. Uh, one thing that I, I mean, Dean, that's like strength and conditioning, right? I mean, oh, yep. you know what I mean? And then for me, you know, coming from the college level and now working in the private sector with middle school and high school kids, I think like you'd agree that like when you got to college, some of the things maybe you saw that you were lacking that maybe were viewed as more fundamental in college allows you to go back into high school and be like, oh, these are some things that I was maybe lacking in a little bit. And for me as a, as a college strength coach, when I look back and I'm like, wow, you know, 60% of the kids say they squat 400 pounds, but 90% of them, you know, don't get the parallel. So, okay, now where, where is the disconnect The kind of the don't break the chain like my guy over there uses for the Fox Valley throws. Where where do you start that chain at? Okay, so how do we teach those basic movements? And so from the weight room, it's the exact same thing. If you create bad movement patterns, just like you, if you create, you know, a kid that can't even get in and out of his stance, you can't start building off all those things. So I think that I think they're very symmetrical. Absolutely. You got to be able to figure out where your kids are where you want them to be and, and the best roadmap that's going to get them from point A to point B. Some kids it's all over the place and some kids it's a lot easier to go. Mike, let's go back to, you know, college there at Iowa. And obviously you talked about, you know, there was a lot of freaks in that weight room. I remember when I visited, you know, and it, we, we would get done and we'd go out to eat. And I was like, man, that guy's a freak. And he'd be like, absolutely. You know, he does some incredible stuff, but what do you, what are some things, that, you know, as at the high school level, a lot of the guys, football players in general, when we talk, you know, weight room, football players like to lift weights. And it's always more, 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 more is the, that that's what they think is the recipe for success. But at college, you know, you see everybody strong. Everybody, you know, is explosive. What, what are some of the things that you did or, or that you did extra in the weight room you know, maybe off time, or maybe I know you come in, there's optional time. And when coach bot was down in Wisconsin, guys would come in and get some extra work, you know, work on some weaknesses. What are some things that you think made a big difference in helping you move well? Because like, you know, buddy Morris, the famous sprint coach who's at Arizona Cardinals right now. And I love what he says is, you know, you have to be able to move in order to play. And no matter what sport you play, you have to be able to move. And I think a lot of times, especially with males, their, their voices, they, they just want to keep getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And they don't want to tackle some of those weaknesses that they have. So just explain some of what your experiences yeah. were there. Yeah. A lot of things are just su are super simple, like small things, you know, whether it's, um, you know, not cutting your, your, 
your post-workout stretching time short, right? Or, or, or paying attention and actually doing what the, what the coaches are telling you. It, it's super easy. You know, for us, it was, you know, once you finish your lift on the board, there was some flexibility stuff that you could get through whenever you're finished, boom, you're out of there. Right. But I saw a lot of kids, you know, now looking back that would just hurry up, get through it, do the quick stuff, go through the motions and then, and see to get, get out there as fast as they can. Um, and it's, it's doing little things like that. And the attention to details with something as simple as, you know, doing a hamstring stretch or doing band stretches or, or ankle mobility and things like that. Um, you know, we had the um, power plates that we would jump on all the time that weren't necessarily on the, on the program, but, you know, it was a huge benefit for us, you know, pre and post workouts and things like that. So utilizing those small things. Um, and then I was fortunate to um, have been able to play with, you know, a guy, uh, Mike Daniels was a defensive lineman when I was yep. there. Uh, he, he played for the Packers for a couple of years. He went to Detroit. I think he's at Cincinnati now. Um, but he did an awesome job with leading the defensive line group with a bunch of extra auxiliary work, um, whether it's before or after practice um, or before or after a lift. I mean, we would get in and, and, and he would be getting us going on like the neck machines for, for defensive linemen and offensive linemen, especially football players is huge, right? And it's something that I think a lot of people neglect. Um, so we did a ton of neck work. I um, mean, obviously it helps with, with concussions and things like that. And then grip strength, you know, as, a, as an offensive lineman and a defensive lineman, grip strength was huge, but it's one of those things that you can neglect it very easily and just hope that you get good grip strength by, you know, grabbing a bar and, and just doing everyday things. Um, where, where I was fortunate to have, you know, guys like Mike Daniels who would push us and hold us accountable and get us in there after the workouts, even though you didn't always want to, you wanted to get out and, you know, go enjoy a nice day, but get in there and just work on the simple things and the small things. And, and like you said, it, it's not always doing crazy things. You don't have to go in and get a second lift at the YMCA, you know, that night to be really good. It's the small things. It's the attention to detail, you know, and doing just the little things right that make a huge difference. Um, one last thing. We always talk about, you know, the competitive advantage and, you know, the podcast is Get Your Edge. And we ask all of our guests that come on, is if you had some get your edge advice, you know, what would that advice be? I would say two things. One thing is challenge yourself, whether you are an athlete or a coach, um, but challenge yourself to understand the why behind what you're doing, right? And not necessarily, you know, why am I actually doing this? Why am I playing, you know, basketball or baseball or why am I coaching? But breaking it down and, and understanding the why behind the movement that you're doing. Right. So, you know, for me and, and, and I'll, you know, be a hundred percent honest, my first three years when I was in Iowa, my number one goal was to, to learn the playbook and memorize things. So I didn't mess up and make a mistake and get yelled at. And like I said, I didn't learn anything because I was just memorizing it. Right. And then the last two years, I finally kind of started to realize the reasons that we were doing, you know, different movements or different stunts or lining up in different places um, or things like that. Understanding the, the why and the big picture behind it, you know, and it doesn't have to be football specific. It can be weight room or anything really. Um, 
being able to, to understand and try to figure out, well, you know, why do we have to work posterior chain in the weight room, right? Why is mobility so important, right? Why do we have to work on a hip hinge? It's such a simple movement. Why is a hip hinge so important? Um, if you can challenge yourself to understand the why, you can see the big picture a lot clearer and it's a lot easier for you to understand um, and, and know the reason that you're actually doing things. And it makes it easier to, to put more time and effort into it. Um, you know, and then the last thing was just to embrace the overall grind and to enjoy the present. Um, you know, me as a, as, a, as a high school kid who was fortunate to be able to go in and play college football, um, looking back, I feel like I, I catch myself and I think we see it all the time. Kids are always looking ahead, always looking ahead of, of what is next, right? If I have a really successful, you know, junior year at my sport, I'm, now I want to get recruited. Now I'm looking to see where I want to go to college or what I want to do. And I think you, you lose perspective of what is actually going on. And you, you look back and think like, well, you know, why was I so worried about this? You know, and I, looking back, I even did it when I was in college, you know, you're always, you know, if, you, if you're successful and I want to start, you know, training for, you know, whether it's the draft or the pro day or the combine or whatever it is, you're always looking for what's next instead of actually living in the present, you know, sure. whether, you know, I catch myself, okay, what's going to happen if, if NFL doesn't work out and you're going to go and get a job, you're going to get married, you're going to have kids or whatever it is, instead of just just enjoying life. I think a lot of times, especially today, we see these high school kids who are just go, 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 kind of reaching for the next best thing. And they don't get to live life as a high school kid, right? A lot of, you know, your guys' memories are probably when you're in high school and college, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and I'm even guilty of it too. I look back and it's like, well, did I, you know, live in the present a lot back then, or was I always kind of looking to see what's next? Um, I think it's really hard for kids now, especially with the pressure of, of going on and playing college athletics or doing whatever it is. Um, you know, I think kids are just kind of cheating themselves of, of the, the moments that you get when you're, you know, actually living in high school. Those are awesome. So Mike, now let's, let's, let's talk about some fun stuff that we got going on here. We got, we got people from this Fox Valley Throws Club, like breaking records and hitting PRs all over the place. Um, you're helping with that. Um, so explain maybe why, you know, athletes, because again, everybody knows about AAU. Everybody knows about travel baseball. Everybody knows, you know, about travel volleyball and stuff like that. Um, for throwers, there's not really that much out there for kids and you talked at the beginning about how important footwork was and, and things like that. So maybe explain from your perspective, why, or maybe why it would have been something you would have done while you were in high school to be in something like this um, with a resident expert, like we have on, on the call with us here tonight, um, who's a guru. Um, and, and then also why, um, you know, this club is gaining such popularity outside of just the results, because I mean, the kids are firing it. You know, I, when I, when we started this, right, it's, I told Matchy right away, I said, man, I wish I would have had something like this when I was in high school. Okay. I was, 
you know, I was successful, you know, I worked hard definitely. And, and obviously I had some great athleticism and had an, an awesome coach and I was relatively successful, but I couldn't help but to think like, Holy cow. What if there was something like this back when I was in high school, you know, sure. how good could I have been, you know, where, where could I have gone for that? Um, and I think kids don't necessarily always realize that, you know, um, until you, look back and realize like you are in my shoes. Um, and, you know, going back to the whole footwork thing. And if you want to be really good at anything, not just throwing, it's anything in general, right? You have to be willing to put in work. And especially for throwing, it's, you got to be able to put in repetition, 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 repetition. Okay. You're not going to get really good by just showing up for a couple sessions or going to a couple practices or a couple open gyms and just say, oh, well, I went to the open gym. I'm, I'm going to be good now, right? If I want to get good at free throws, I got to shoot a lot of free throws. If sure. I want to get good at throwing or, or turning on one of my foot, my feet, I got to do it thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Um, so I think the, the kids get that out of it because they're not going to do it on their own. I think it's super hard for kids to hold themselves accountable to put in the 5, 10, 15 minutes a day that it takes for any sport um, if they, to get really good. So, you know, we, we get, you get the accountability factor and then overall, it's just, it's just a fun, good atmosphere for kids. Um, you know, I have a blast every time we go to them. Um, you know, me and Matchy obviously have a, have a really good relationship and we, and we joke around and he pushes me to be, you know, to, to try to change my best because he, like you said, is, is the guru, obviously. Um, you know, so he comes up with everything and, and we challenge each other and we, we try to challenge the kids as much as possible. Um, and I think it's fun for kids. It should be fun for kids. Yes. The first time that you watch them do some drills, it's like, they're terrible at them. But then, you know, the later you get into the sessions, um, the better and better that they get it. So you're, you're getting the accountability aspect from obviously coaches, but then you have other athletes that are holding you accountable too. Um, and it kind of brings everyone together. You know, we, we talk about how it's a throwing family um, and it really truly is. It's not just something that we, that we say just to, to say it, right? And, and I've got a great example. You know, like I said, I was, I was doing the middle school throws um, so I don't get to, to go to all the varsity meets, um, but I was fortunate to get to one and there was a meet where it was, it was the Gil Frank. So there was a bunch of different teams there. And I don't know if I, I pointed it out to Matchy, but we had kids from Kimberly. We had kids from Little Shoot, Kakana, Freedom, um, Preble. And I looked over at the throwers and there was kids from all of those teams standing together, talking, laughing. You know, uh, one kid hit a bomb. And one of the Kimberly kids goes in and tells them, hey, nice throw. Yeah. And then goes into the ring and, and goes and out throws them. And then the kid That's talks to up. him afterwards and, and gives him a fist bump and says, hey, nice throw. But you don't see that with everything, right? Yeah. So that's why, you know, when we talked throwing family, it was just a really cool experience for me to see that kind of, not as an outsider, but kind of sit back and look and like, well, they really do have great relationships and they're building relationships and then they get to go and compete against each other, which I think is probably the most fun thing. So they get a lot more out of it than just, you know, getting to throw, you know, 
Um, but it's it's a fun time for me, and, I, and I'm so fortunate um, and lucky that that match. He asked me to jump on board, and you know I don't think we there could be a better person that's running that thing. So excited to get our session started. You know, the week after the state meet, we're we're going to be rolling. We're going to be firing it. We're going to be throwing some bombs. Well, Mike, I'll tell you, you know, you've not only were you an athlete of mine, but we've always been in close contact. You know, when you were at Iowa, we were communicating all the time. And and now you're we're lucky enough to have you in the Kimberly Area School District as a coach and, and you're helping out with the club. And, you know, I, I'm so fortunate to, to have that experience. You know, when we were at both spoke at the Wisconsin Track Coaches Association. I mean, that was a highlight for me, Brian, of having one of my former athletes get up there and and talk throws, you know, to a, to a, a yep. big, large audience of coaches that were, you know, just thirsty for knowledge and, and trying to, you know, get knowledge out to as many people as we can to just help all kids out there, the sport of track and field and everything else. And uh, that, that was just a really a proud moment for me as, as a coach. And I value our relationship. And I know we talked about, we saw Brian with, went and spoke at the Wisconsin Football Coaches Association. And we're constantly learning from each other. But, you know, you were a state champion in, in the shot put and the discus. And, you know, I, I never was a thrower, but I've coached it for years and years and years. And it's, it's just a great compliment to, to our club to have somebody of your caliber and your experience because you, you threw it and, and you know what some of those positions are and, and everything else. So June 6th, we're, we're super excited. We're going to have to stay track. We're going to get it going. And, and um, I know Brian's got some great stuff at sports advantage going Logan Brust when he came back in town, you know, he was talking about all the great things that Logan learned from you, Brian at sports advantage that he's going to take with him in LA right now. And, and having Rob by his side, is, is making a big difference and it's going to make that transition a lot smoother for him going to that next level in the NFL from college. So one of some of the coolest things that we see over the summer is we go at it a little bit different than, than some other places where I'm not sitting there telling the kids, Hey, you know, you should be training with us instead of your high school. I understand the value of training with your high school. Uh, no matter what sport you're in, you're going to be around your teammates. That's a great, best time to, to learn and grow. But I also understand that kids, some kids need more. Um, some kids want to take it to a higher level and that's where, that's where we come in at sports advantage. And, you know, whether it's more speed development, whether it's obviously those of you that follow us on Instagram, we we've got the jump training figured out. Uh, I just had my son approach jump. I think it was 36 one today, um, which is for him off the charts. Uh, he, he finished football season with a vertical jump of 25 um, so his vertical now is his regular vertical is up eight inches since the end of the football season. Um, and we're seeing that we had a 315 pound kid jump 29 inches the other day. Um, uh, so, you know, we have the, the, not only the complete package for training, but also building those things that, that are a necessity for athletes outside of what they're doing with their high school. So Mike, we, you know, really appreciate you have, uh, coming on today. Um, you know, I, I definitely think you're in a great place. Obviously you've got a great mentor. Uh, but I think mentorship is, is, is only as good as if you take the, the leadership that they're given. And obviously um, you're learning and being a leader yourself. So that's great. Uh, that Kimberly school district is so lucky to have both you guys and Mangan and some of those other coaches out there. Um, but that's going to end it for this episode of the get your edge podcast. Appreciate everybody. Listen, please share the show coaches, athletes, share it with your athletes, share it with teachers, 
Um, I think we're delivering incredible messages. We, you know, Dean and I get messages all the time. You know, we get training questions. We just got a couple questions through Twitter. You can message us however you want. We're an open book. You know, we want the state of Wisconsin, both from a throwing aspect and a training aspect to be the best in the country. And so we're doing our part. So feel free to ask any questions you have. Consulting, we're here for you uh, as well. If you want that in your different school districts, we're here to help. And that's going to end it for this episode of the Get Your Edge podcast. Chop it!